Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A surge of recent headlines like Times, no, you should not get Omicron, or NPRs on how getting Omicron to get it over with is a bad idea, are reacting to a growing narrative that since Omicron is, quote, milder or less likely to leave you hospitalized, or that COVID infection is inevitable anyways, that it's time to stop trying to avoid getting it. But doctors and public health officials say you still don't want to get it or get it again if you've already had COVID. And joining me now is Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo, Professor and Chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics and Professor of Medicine at UCSF's School of Medicine. Dr. Bibbins-Domingo, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So I want to ask you about this. We really are hearing that breakthrough infections are common even for the vaccinated who are taking precautions like masking indoors that, you know, you're less likely to be hospitalized with Omicron if you're vaccinated. Um, and, and even just the fact that we will all eventually get it is another strand of thinking that is out there and being articulated a lot. So why is trying to get it a bad idea at this point and quote, get it over with? Sure. Um, let's just acknowledge that we're all frustrated and uh, we all probably, um, many of us probably spent parts of the pandemic without knowing others who who had COVID um, or avoiding it ourselves. And now we probably all know people who have had COVID and it is uh, both the frustration of the prolonged period of time the fact that there are breakthroughs on vaccination and the fact that we now seem to know a lot of people around us. It makes this all feel inevitable and therefore why not throw caution to the wind? I think that uh, it it really is is sort of the the wrong way to think about it and could put us in, in, uh, in a little bit of a dangerous way of thinking. We currently are in a surge. There's a lot of virus around. And, uh, and that, vi- that uh, level of virus around means we are likely to be in situations where we're going to be exposed. We will know people who have it, we will be exposed ourselves and therefore at risk of getting it ourselves. The reason not to actively go out and try to catch this virus is um, a series of, I think, really false assumptions that are oftentimes woven into this narrative. One is, because it's on average mild, it would be mild with me. I don't know that we say with certainty that any given person getting uh, the Omicron infection now is going to have a mild course. Mm. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that. We yeah. also don't know about the long-term consequences of infections. And uh, there is the response, and probably the most important thing here is that um, there is an assumption that if you somehow get it now, you've gotten it over with, and therefore we'll never get it again. And we don't know that either. And so I think the reasons to do it are based on a series of of false assumptions about what getting it now would mean, and that doesn't quite hold water. 
Also, there's really no way to guarantee that you're getting exposed to the Omicron variant, which right now does not seem to have the same impact in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, which I think is an important thing to say because mild just does not seem to capture that that's what <laughs> what that's what it means. So so you could actually be exposing yourself to the still circulating Delta variant, right, which is quite severe. Yeah, that that is absolutely the case. I mean, it is the case that that um, probably 90% of the isolates right now are Omicron. So um, the chances are it would be Omicron, but 90% is not 100%. And uh, this virus has uh, shown the ability to continue to develop uh, new variants. And so um, I would not let uh, the population average of more mild disease with Omicron um, convince me that the virus that's going to infect me will result in mild disease for me. Um, and I do think that, that that is a false assumption. Well, let me invite listeners to join the conversation. Have you yourself decided that you might want to give up trying to avoid getting a COVID or have been surrounded by people feeling this way? How has that been for you? 866-733-6786 is the number. 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. Share your comments or your questions. What do we know? What's the latest that you can tell us about long COVID? And certainly that is a risk as well, right? With exposure to Omicron. Sure. Um, I think long COVID is something that we have been aware of for a while. Um, uh, and that is the, the long-term sequelae, the complications uh, that come for people who've had, um, who uh, recovered from an acute bout of COVID. I think one of the things that is most eye-opening about some of the literature that's emerging from uh, about long COVID is that it doesn't seem to correlate with the level of severity of the acute illness. And so that is something that more research is being done and is something that would also be in the back of my mind when I'm considering wh whether I should actually go out to get disease. The other thing though I would say, and probably some of your listeners have heard about this debate about whether the people in the hospital now, probably while some of them have COVID, usually the unvaccinated, um, many people are just hospitalized with COVID. Um, and uh, I, I think that is a sort of, again, leads us into a false narrative because COVID does seem to have the ability to make many of the common chronic conditions that many people have, heart disease, diabetes, uh, lung disease, worse. Mm -hmm. And so many of the hospitalizations right now that we are seeing on the rise are for complications of heart disease or complications of diabetes that does seem to follow from um, a, a, an acute, maybe even mild infection with with uh, with um, SARS-CoV-2, and so these both the the subacute uh, consequences of an infection, as well as uh, the long-term uh, complications uh, with long COVID that we're just starting to learn more and more about, I think are additional reasons to think about. Uh, uh, that the mild uh, Omicron acute infection might not fully capture the full potential implications of an infection. Huh. And I think you're really getting at another reason, which is that you can potentially, especially there are cases of people who have COVID or Omicron that are asymptomatic, um, that you really can pass it on to other people without knowing it and set off this domino effect, which could 
burden already burdened hospitals. Right. So I think we've been talking about uh, why I might want to avoid this infection for me, but certainly the consequences for the larger community of all of us taking that tact of just trying to go get infected um, are, are important as well. And I think those come in two big varieties. One is that um, there are many people who, um, who we know are at risk. There are people who've chosen not to be vaccinated, but there are people like children under five who are not, the vaccines are not available to them. Uh, we know that infections oftentimes we think of as milder in children, but the upper respiratory infections that are exactly what Omicron causes are severe infections, generally speaking, in children, or they can be more severe in children because of their small, uh, their small airways and their small upper respiratory tract. So there are children under five, there are immune compromised individuals who despite two, three, and sometimes four doses of a vaccine don't have the full immunity uh, that others have. And so there are the reasons for others in our community who would still be at risk if we are part of the chain of transmission that would lead them to get infected, and the additional issue that while our hospitals are full, um, that uh, that um, anything that we can do to try to uh, prevent contributing to the cases that might lead the hospitals to be full uh, becomes all of our, our responsibility. We're fortunate in the Bay Area because we have had attention to vaccinations to boosting, to masking, that while we see this uptick in cases and we see the resulting uptick in hospitalizations, we've not overwhelmed our hospital system, but we also are seeing that lots of healthcare workers are also out sick as well. And so we're mm -hmm. at a very delicate point uh, where these things, uh, these things have, um, have started to collide. And this is where our broader community responsibility to avoid becoming a part of the chain of transmission uh, falls into place as well. Let me go to caller Amanda in Berkeley. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Are you there? Oh, I think we just lost Amanda. Jill writes, please mention the effect on hospitals if everyone gets COVID now. This is a huge consideration, uh, which you have just done, Dr. Bibbins domingo The other thing is I'm wondering um, if you have a sense, I don't know about California, but generally we're hearing nationally that there is is a shortage of treatments potentially that uh, the kinds of things that people have relied on, like monoclonal antibody infusions and so forth, are becoming in short supply. Right. So, you know, the good news is we have new treatments, oral medications that were approved recently by the FDA. Mm, that's Paxlovid. Some very yeah. highly, yes, very highly effective like Paxlovid, but the supply of Paxlovid is very, very limited. So in our hospital systems, really restricted to those who um, are older, have multiple comorbidities, and so not widely available to, to many people. So while we, sh so it is good that we have these new therapies. Other therapies that we have relied on in the past, like the monoclonal antibodies, some types of those monoclonal antibodies don't actually work for Omicron. Um, and so, uh, so that has been a mainstay of our therapies, um, but is not as effective except for certain varieties of the monoclonal antibodies. And so the therapies that we have 
and will continue to have on the horizon will be there for the future, but right now are quite constrained. So here's how I would think about it. Um, I would really be trying as hard as I can to avoid the infection, um, especially over the next few weeks, uh, because um, the hospitals are full, the treatments are not plentiful, and I don't know the reaction I'm going to have, and I wanna protect others in the community. I have to say, if I could avoid them, I feel confident that those extra treat the, those treatments will continue to have more of them. We know that scientists are con continuing to, to develop more of them. And I think we shouldn't view this very concerning time as feeling like our future is not bright. I actually think our future is bright. And it's uh, the point of avoiding the infection today during this surge is because I do think there are more, there is more down the road in terms of therapeutics and other types of, uh, of, of interventions that will, will continue to offer hope. And so I think the goal should be for everyone to forestall it as much as possible. Well, Kevin writes, even if I'm going to get COVID-19, eventually, I'd rather get it when hospitals are empty, and ideally a very long time from now when treatments have improved. And Nathan writes, we know a lot of family and friends who are now getting COVID. As new parents, we're deeply concerned about our newborn getting it. We got boosters last month, but we also know that the more people get COVID, the more likely the virus will evolve and change into another variant that may be worse than anything else we have seen yet. Stay safe to keep others safe. We're talking with Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo, Chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics and Professor of Medicine at UCSF. And we're talking about why, what to consider and why you still don't want to contract Omicron. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And Carlos writes, how much more deadly is the current Omicron variant than the flu? Uh, yes, still, still. if we take it in aggregate, um, uh, we're going to see, I think, the cases being more deadly than the flu. It's a little bit, we're still in the midst of understanding, uh, and so you will see the studies coming out. The study, parsing the studies and how deadly this, uh, this, this particular uh, variant is, has been a little bit challenging because um, uh, we know the death rates in countries where there are different levels of immunity because the populations have had prior infection and because there are different levels of vaccination. And it's pretty clear that this virus, this variant is good at evading the immune system. And so therefore the death rates in part reflect the level of immunity that is that is there as well as the inherent infectiousness and, uh, and uh, the inherent properties in the virus. Um, so, what we do know is that every year, um, flu seasons, we can have better or worse uh, flu seasons, depending on both characteristics of the virus, as well as characteristics of immunity in the population. And the same is true for this particular variant. And, and so sorting that out. One of the things I think that will be interesting is to understand not only those that are the direct effects of people treated directly for COVID, as well as, um, but also the indirect effects or the people whose chronic conditions like heart disease and diabetes are made worse because of COVID and therefore have consequences as a result of that. And that's one of the things that'll be hard to parse. Yes. Well, Michelle writes, I've been working as a waitress throughout the pandemic, maintaining a very high level of exposure. At this point, I liken avoiding COVID to avoiding a car accident when I leave the house. Of course, I try to be careful. And of course, I will look both ways. But ultimately, it isn't really up to me. The chips are going to fall where they may would love to get your reaction to that but but two 
her point, to Michelle's point, it really is a lot hard for a lot of people to avoid the disease, particularly true for people who cannot work from home. And then we've had the compounding effects of, you know, tests not being available or rapid tests not being as available as we need them to be, confusing government messaging and so on, um, that I, I can empathize with with how it feels like it's really not up to me in some ways. I think your listener, your the person who's written it has, has captured it very well. Um, I think she's captured the elements that um, that we, many of us um, who work in person, um, will have to continue to work in person. Many will decide that there are things that we want to do and we don't want to dramatically alter our lives. Um, but uh, and and that's what she is writing about. But just as we don't walk into the street, we don't drive without our seatbelts on, we don't, um, we, we follow general safety rules in order to avoid our car accidents, we know that, that's, that that doesn't make our chance of being in a car accident zero, but we try to take common sense measures to avoid those things. And I think learning to live with this virus is going to mean more of that, right? It is going to mean uh, that we understand that this isn't a um, zero COVID or rush out and get COVID, but COVID is something in our environment. We all take common sense measures to try to avoid. From a policy perspective, that means that those common sense measures have to be available to everyone. Uh, so vaccinations, vaccines, boosters, high quality masks, and in this case, really making tests, uh, the rapid home tests available so that people can make good decisions about, uh, about their risk and exposing others, and then making it available in particular to people who have to continue to work in persons, uh, to communities where we know transmission are, is high. Those are gonna be the common sense uh, policy strategies we're gonna need to have in place so that we can all learn to live with the virus. I don't think this means lockdown. I don't think this means, uh, you know, um, being anxious all the time. It means in the same way we try to avoid car accidents, we try to avoid and take the common sense measures while going about living our lives. Amy writes, I'm still and will continue to avoid getting COVID at all costs. No matter the statistics, I have heard enough tragic COVID stories and losses and long COVID looms large. I stick with the premise that although we are sick of COVID, it is not tired of us. We just have 20 seconds, Dr. Bibbins Domingo, and so appreciate having you on. I don't know if you have a final thought you want to leave us with as we face this. No, I think your last two writers have, have summed it up well. I think they're exactly right. This virus is not done with us. It shows it's a very, uh, a very potent force, but so are we, and we continue to take some common sense measures. My thanks to you. Dr. Kirsten Bibbins Domingo, Chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at UCSF. Also, my thanks to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment and to our listeners for their questions, comments, and always insightful thoughts. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.